Welcome to the Days for Girls podcast, a show about breaking barriers for women and girls around the world. I'm your host, Jessica Williams, Chief Communications Officer at Days for Girls International. At Days for Girls, we believe in a world where periods are never a problem. We are on a mission to shatter the stigma and limitations associated with menstruation by increasing access to sustainable period products and menstrual health education for all people with periods. Today's episode is with Clint Borgen. Clint is the founder and president of The Borgen Project, an organization working to bring U.S. political attention to global poverty. Borgen works with congressional leaders to build support for legislation that improves conditions for people in developing nations. He is widely regarded as one of the leading poverty reduction campaigners in the United States. In this episode, Clint talks about The Borgen Project's mission to fight extreme poverty. Now let's go on to the show. Clint, welcome to the Days for Girls podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm so familiar with the Borgen Project, you know, so I'm really excited to have this conversation. But let's start out for those who aren't familiar with your work. Can you tell us more about the Borgen Project, what it is, what it does, and and kind of how it works? Yeah, you can kind of think of the Borgen Project as lobbyists for the world's poor. So we're really advocating for people um, who are living in extreme poverty, and we're, we're advocating at the congressional level with um, members of Congress and basically trying to get U.S. foreign policy doing more to improve living conditions for people than Congress might otherwise be inclined to do. So that's kind of a role in the world of basically just create, you know, mobilizing the public and creating political pressure on our leaders to have foreign policy that's more focused on improving living conditions for people. Yeah, that makes sense. So can you give me an example of like a particular political agenda that you've been working on and kind of how you've been putting that pressure on congressional leaders? Sure. So like, right. Now we're working on a bill called the Girls Lead Act, and um, that's the legislation that's basically looking at how to get women in developing countries more involved in participating in democracy, essentially, and basically rising in positions of power in some of these countries, more or less, is kind of the broad scope. To do that, we have a network of volunteers in all 50 states, and they're both reaching out directly to congressional offices through email and then also mobilizing other people to do it as well. Um, they're also doing grassroots lobbying meetings in, in those states, meeting with the members of Congress that represent them. And the organization at the same time is doing senior leadership meetings with staff and leaders in Congress about that bill and trying to build co-sponsors and get that bill through Congress. So that's kind of the the short version. One thing I'll, I'll point out too is when I first started the organization, I was super skeptical that emailing Congress and reaching out to members of Congress made any difference at all. And we've really found it has a huge impact on getting leaders to support bills. And we have a couple members of Congress who serve on a board of directors. And the one in particular always talks about um, if his office receives five calls in the morning on any given bill, his staff has notified him by the afternoon about that bill. And um, all these offices also have tally systems that keep tally of uh, which issues people are contacting them about. And they send that report to the leader. They you know, get a pre concise breakdown. So my, my words of wisdom to all who listen, if there's anything you care about, definitely find groups that are advocating for it and try to identify legislation they're working on and, and fill out those those generic boring form emails to Congress because they really do make a difference. Well, that's good to hear because yeah, I often wonder 
You know, how, yeah. how does yeah, that was, work? Does it make any difference? You know, <laughs> surprisingly it does. I was definitely a big skeptic at first, but yeah, we've, we've seen amazing results with just a handful of people reaching out to any given leader on a bill. So. Oh, that's cool. Can you give me an example of some of the results that you've seen? Yeah. So like the water for the world act was a bill um, we've worked on and that one had pretty good grassroots mobilization around and it passed. Now it's, it's helping millions of people get access to clean, safe drinking water, but you know, just, you know, broadly speaking, I mean, I've been in meetings with congressional staffers and they're like, oh, we hear a bunch from Oregon Project supporters in our district and we have data, right? So we can go on our site and look at how many people from any given state or how many emails each leader from any given state received from Oregon Project supporters in their district. So I can pull, we can pull up a senator and see that this year, 30 people called them in support of a bill. And it's always interesting to me is sometimes like some of these leaders that feel like they're hearing a lot from our supporters, it might actually be like 20 people that actually called them all year long about that or emailed them all year long about that bill. So it's odd, but it really has a big impact. Some of the hot item issues like um, you know immigration or things that are making big news at the time, those get a lot of calls and emails, but most other issues or bills, they just don't hear a lot from people on. So they are more receptive to trying to support those and doing what they can. Absolutely. So I'm going to play like the devil's advocate here for people who are maybe, you know, more inclined to say, hey, the U.S. should be focused on U.S. issues and not so concerned about the rest of the world. Why is it important for our Congress, our Senate, our, our White House to pay attention to international issues of poverty, violence, all the humanitarian crises that are going? Why is this important? So there's, there's a very direct tie between what's going on in the rest of the world and how that impacts uh, job growth and the economy in the United States. And there's also really strong indicators on how it impacts national security as well. Um, starting with the economic side, you look at all the top trading partners the United States currently has, all but Canada at one time were, foreign, were recipients of U.S. foreign assistance. So these are countries like the EU, uh, South Korea, Japan, countries at one time were receiving foreign assistance from the United States have since graduated off assistance and are now some of our top trading partners. The aid we provided those countries at the time, just on an annual basis, we export far more to those countries than we ever gave in aid. So it was investments that we made in those countries and now we're seeing huge economic return on those investments. But big thing is it's not in those countries. I mean, the buzzword you hear a lot is emerging markets, but these are places where poverty rates are dropping and it's creating a rising number of people who can actually afford to buy products coming out of the United States. And it's everything from, you know, you look at most apples. So I'm based at Washington State and most of our apples are now being exported to Mexico. That's a market that hardly existed at all for Washington apple growers, you know, 20 years ago. But now it's the top recipient of apples are going to Mexico. Um, you look at uh, even like giant products. Another big company out here is Boeing, and they make commercial aircraft, you know, giant 737s. Um, but over 50% of their commercial airplanes are going to developing countries or some of these countries that are not what you'd necessarily think. And actually, their largest commercial contract was with an airline. It wasn't out of the U.S. or Europe. It was an airline out of Indonesia, you know, historically one of the poorest countries on Earth, but as poverty rates have been dropping in that region. Lo and behold, there's a rising number of people who can afford to fly and are buying airplane tickets. And to meet that growing demand, the airline out there, Lion Airlines, has been buying up 737s off the factories here in the United States. So really, you can kind of look at almost any industry and agriculture product and kind of go down a list and look at where it's being exported to. And more often than not, it's a country that's seen a pretty uh, sizable drop in um, poverty and a growing number of consumers in those regions. So that's 
that's the, the big one on the economy side. You actually have like the Chamber of Commerce has sent letters to Congress calling for strong funding for the national affairs budget. And a lot of business leaders kind of increasingly um, talking about this. The other one is national security. So you, you look at the national security strategies of both the Bush administration, the Obama administration, and they all talk about development as a cornerstone of national security. And that they talk about the three-legged stool of defense, diplomacy, and development. So what they've really found, and this has been a big lesson since 9-11 in particular, but where people have no hope and opportunity, that creates conditions of instability and places where drug cartels can more easily operate and terrorist groups can more easily operate. And it's kind of a lesson we've been learning over, relearning over and over again throughout history, unfortunately. But, you know, when people have no hope and opportunity, that's that's not good. That, that's where the, the bad guys can operate freely and creates a lot of national security issues for, for the U.S. and so very much in our interest, both national security-wise, economic-wise, if you are someone who doesn't believe in immigration, there's also pretty huge ties to, uh, I personally am a big fan of immigration, <laughs> but there's for those who are against it, there's also pretty huge correlation between the reasons people are coming here is often they're fleeing, as we're seeing right now in Northern Triangle countries, they're fleeing unstable or chaotic or dangerous places and coming to our country as well. So you can kind of go down, down, you know, they talk about poverty as a root issue, but you look at uh, so many of the issues that uh, seem to get attention here and we care about here have pretty strong correlation between what's going on overseas as well. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So uh, I'm curious, what are some of the poorest countries in the world that you're really focused on uh, improving conditions for? Yeah. So we, you know, we're operating at the political policy level. So a lot of what we're doing is get, it's trying to get better funding and efficiency for the US, USAID, US government's aid agency. So a lot of those decisions are made at that level by USAID. A lot of the, that said, a lot of the bills we're, we're targeting and working on are primarily looking at the Horn of Africa and, and some of those regions. So, but at other times there'll be, uh, there's a Northern Triangle bill we worked on recently. And so there'll be some region specific, but more often than not, it's targeting countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you get into this work, Clint? I mean, I, I think your backgrounds, I, mean, I only have a, a little bit of information, but it appears to be very interesting. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious about this. Yeah. I had uh, just growing up, always kind of had an interest in this stuff uh, for whatever reason. And it really just, I give credit to those uh, commercials you see on TV asking you to donate to, <laughs> to starving children overseas. Cause it, it, I was just blown away that that stuff. I remember I was, even I was like a first grader seeing those and just being blown away that that stuff was going on. Um, very different from the world I grew up in. So in, in college, I went and volunteered over in Kosovo when the war and ethnic cleansing was was going on over there and worked in refugee camps. And I was just absolutely amazed how little it takes to improve conditions for people on the ground. That, you know, the basic human needs of food, water, shelter are pretty easy to deliver for individuals in those emergency situations. Um, but then it's also really bothered that U.S. wasn't doing more. So I, I grew up, you know, uh, pretty patriotic upbringing and had a strong sense that the U.S. was out saving the world and doing lots of great things. And and we definitely, as a country, do a lot of amazing stuff. But um, there's a big disconnect between what I thought was being done and what was actually being done. And, and that's something I've seen not just in Kosovo, but other hotspots around the world is there's a lot of countries working on these issues and coming together to try to right some of these wrongs. And I think the U.S. has a unique ability to, to do more and have a bigger impact with our, our role in the world. So that was kind of my moment of Zen of like, okay, we really need find a way to get U.S. leaders doing more and get public engagement around these issues more. And so shortly after college, I started, launched, started working on this, the idea for the organization. And I, I just graduated college, still had student loans to pay off. And 
Uh, this was like right after 9-11, like December after 9-11. So job market didn't look too great either. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go for it, try to start this organization. And it ended up taking a job on a fishing boat up in Alaska. So not really what I'd planned on doing with my, <laughs> with my college career right out the gates. But kind of what they, basically what they do, they'd hired someone to live on the boat in the off season. And so for a year and a half, I'd go up for three months stints and work on the boat and Basically, I had like all day to just do nothing but work on the Morgan project because the crew was gone. They just needed someone to be a security guard, basically, and kind of live on the boat and make sure it didn't sink or nothing went bad. And this is up in the Aleutian Islands. For those that watch the TV show, The Deadliest Catch, it's all, it's that same area. And a lot of those guys I'd see on the dock before, this is like right before the show had started though, back in the day. So kind of interesting. So yeah, the first, that was early days of the organization was just me for about a year and a half. And I was just sitting at my computer on the galley of the boat. And it was, um, you know, basically like living in a bomb shelter because I was kind of slightly at sea level or just below sea level. So there's no windows in the area I was living in working out of, but it was really kind of perfect conditions for a startup because I just had all day and night. And then of course, Alaska is extremely dark in the winter as well. So to kind of focus on it and figure out what the heck I was doing, because I really had no background on policy, really had no knowledge of uh, a lot of stuff, to be honest, and everything from web development to learning the policy ropes and doing the formation of the organization. Um, so they all, all kind of started up there and then eventually moved back to Seattle, continue to work on it. Um, for the first 10 years though, I, it was, I was, pretty close to running the organization full-time, but always had to have jobs. And I, I ran it unpaid for the first 10 years. So I always had jobs outside the organization for the first 10 years. So most of that time was like, I'd you know, spend all day at the boarding project in the office. And then in the af- early afternoon, I'd run over and work. Typically I was working either nights as uh, restaurants or hotels doing room service. So that was kind of my existence for several years. And the organization kind of kept growing our political influence was getting stronger and all was well, but fundraising, fundraising was definitely something I personally struggled with. I was you know, raised not to talk about money or ask for money. So <laughs> it was one of my early, early things to overcome as a person developing organization. But yeah, so that, that was kind of like the sense. And then we just kind of kept growing and expanding. And, and now we're, yeah, like I said, we've got volunteers in 50 States and several different countries and a good team of, staff helping me and kind of making, uh, making things work. So it's, it's kind of expanded quite a bit. It's amazing. And, you know, in 2023, it looks like you'll be going on 10 years, you know, so that's cool. Yeah. We're actually coming up on our 17th year now. So we're, Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. We're getting old. Oh yeah. My math's off. Your math is like my math. I've had the same math. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So since Days for Girls focuses on empowering women, can you talk about why reducing or empowering women is part of the comprehensive plan to reducing poverty in developing countries? Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at most power reduction strategies, and a lot of it targets ways to improve conditions for women. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one, one of the big ones is there's a lot more likelihood that women will be able to help the children have a play a role in looking out for the kids. And not not to bash my fellow uh, men out there, but in, in terms of <laughs> where most responsibility lies and where people the resources get best utilized, it's really kind of helping helping women. And then you know, big part of that you look at the stats too. And if if, if girls the longer they stay in school, far less likelihood of um, you know being forced into child marriage or having babies early. And so it just kind of go down the list. But there's any number of reasons why you'd want to be uh, doing more to address women empowerment. But I think. Those are some of the ones that come to mind off, off the bat. 
Yeah. I, I remember when I first learned like, oh, one of the keys to ending violence, cycles of violence and, and poverty and reducing crime and in, empowering yeah. nations is and even climate change is empowering women. It's, I was yeah, like, so oh, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of connections between <laughs> that issues as well, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's almost, you know, the whole idea that like equality like lifts all boats and and really improves society as a whole. I, I think, you know, I, I really believe in that. So I think it's a good yeah. example of that for sure. So um, I... I'm curious about if people want to get involved, if they want to support the Borgen project and they want to act, what are some of the things that they can do to participate and support your initiatives? Yeah. So we have volunteer roles that can be done remotely um, across the country and overseas as well. Um, and so it's, a lot of those involve um, advocacy. It's like going out and um, meeting directly with congressional offices uh, there's other roles in writing as well. We have an online magazine. Um, so there, there's yeah, definitely a lot of volunteer opportunities um, that we definitely encourage people to, to get involved with. I, I'm i specifically curious about the ways, because I, I feel like a lot of people, are, they sit back and they go, what can I do really? Yeah. Like, really, are you sure, Clint, if I call my congressman, they're actually going to care. That's actually going to make a difference. Yeah. So what are some other things they can do besides just write a letter and call their congressman to, you know, make a difference on the issues that they care about? Yeah. I mean, not to, not to be the jump on that, uh, keep harping that, but I will say, <laughs> you know, I, I was that person too, where I was like, so skeptical, but um, it, it really does. They do keep track of every single and tally, every single column and stuff. So that, that one I, is in terms of like, if you want a quick 30 second way to help, that's always a good one. One thing we used to tell people to is just put your leader's phone numbers in your cell phone. You can look their numbers up either on our website or online. And if you're like bored sitting in traffic, you can just call or a supporter like to encourage you to support their national affairs budget and the person answering the phone will write that down and, and go from there. So that one's a good one. And, you know, the other thing is just any information, like basically awareness stuff. Everyone's got social media accounts. So if you want like sharing articles that kind of help engage people in the topics and things you find is always good as well. But yeah, those, those are probably the ones that stand out the most to me. And yeah. I, I know um, obviously donating and stuff like that can help as well, but uh it's some, some of the simpler stuff is surprisingly effective. Yeah. Yeah. So how do people find out what like legislation their congressional leaders are currently working on? Is that public information yeah. on their websites? Yeah. And if, if you're looking for stuff specific to, so a lot of times it will be on their website, but if you're looking for stuff uh, specific to poverty, if you go to borgenproject.org, uh, there's a link to a legislation page that kind of um, lists all the current bills uh, we're focused on related to global poverty and from there, you can get more details. Like you can click and see who's co-sponsored it, not co-sponsored it. And, and you can email your leaders directly through that way as well. Awesome. Fantastic. And Clint, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing at the Borgen Project, or do you have any upcoming projects or new things that you're focused on? Uh, the, you know, one thing right now is obviously with COVID, we're really have a lot of concerns there <laughs> as, as everyone in the world does, but there's been a huge amount of progress in poverty rates dropping globally over the last 20 years, but COVID's definitely going to push that number back up a little bit. And, you know, we, we have one staff member who's based in South Africa and she's like not going to get the vaccine for at least another two years, probably. So it's, it's just, 
I think here in the U.S. it's sort of starting to wrap up, but you know it's an issue that's still ravaging developing countries. And so we're kind of focused on right now is trying to get the U.S. sharing our vaccine more overseas and putting pressure on U.S. leaders to do more around uh, to do that as well. And I, I should say that's also back to strategic reasons for doing this. Um, both China and Russia were providing vaccines to other countries very early on in this. Um, during the COVID pandemic, and they, they weren't necessarily doing that out of the goodness of their heart. And a lot of that is very strategic and wanting to gain influence in some of those countries as well. So. Right. And and also, you know, protect their own, right? So Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of the reports coming out about COVID are just devastating to yeah. a lot of the progress that we've made over the last decades in terms of fighting poverty. It really is. And I feel like we have no idea the real numbers in some of these countries, too, because so, you know, a lot of these countries, they just don't have the testing to even be testing. So they're not, it's not like they're getting the accurate read on how many people are getting in and dying from it. So, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think when this, when the dust settles, we're probably going to be quite shocked at what all has occurred. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're focused on that. And I think the work that you're doing is pretty amazing. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. If people want to connect with you personally and the Borgen Project, how do they do that? Yeah, just uh, borgenproject.org is where you can find out all the information, whether you, you know, want to get involved or, or volunteer or whatever. So that's probably the, the best route. And then I'm on Twitter also just at Clint Borgen or at, yeah. I always get confused with that Clint Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We'll put that link in the show notes so everybody's got it. And Clint, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, Jessica. Yeah, have a good rest of your day. The Days for Girls podcast is produced by Days for Girls International. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit daysforgirls.org forward slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen. Subscribe to the show and share episodes on social media or with your friends. To learn more about Days for Girls and to join our global movement, please visit daysforgirls.org. Thank you for listening. See you next time.